Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Dugout. Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. Halloween is fast approaching and there's only one thing that haunts the steps of Premier League managers, one thing that keeps them up at night and one thing that means their deepest, darkest fears have been realised. It's the dreaded P45. It's sacking season in the Premier League with Steven Gerrard, the latest figure to fall foul of a firing. His replacement is Unai Emery. Will he resurrect Aston Villa from here on in? And is Jesse Marsh a dead man walking at Leeds United? A frightful performance against Leicester last week to turn faces whiter than a Yorkshire rose. Can he stop the rot and see his side sink their teeth into Liverpool? Well, we'll find out this weekend in the top flight, as well as whether the Frankenstein footballer that is Erling Haaland is fit to face a zombie-like Leicester side. The ghost of Graham Potter returns to the Amex as he's back at his old haunt. And can the Gunners shoot down a Forest team who some say look dead and buried already this season? All of that to come on your award-winning Premier League podcast. This is The Dugout, and joining me today, two former top flight stars. We've got fearsome Francis Benali and terrible Trevor Stephen. Hiya, gents. How are you doing? <laughs> Terrible, the fierce, fierce Franny Benali I can get, but the terrible dress. I couldn't think of anything else. It's nothing to do with your footballing ability. It's just how scary you sound. I was just taking note there, and you've obviously been hard at work. Fall foul of a firing. Yes. Right, Stephen Gerrard. That is pretty impressive I mean, I'm quite glad that I didn't mess up the alliteration there. (laughs) Erling Haaland nearly tripped me up there. Um, It's a very, very much a seasonal intro as well. No, very, very good. only get to do it once a year um and maybe at christmas <laughs> as well we can get some of the the christmas puns out but that is enough halloween puns indeed for another year we're going to move on very swiftly to the games that are happening this weekend in the premier league and there are some really good ones as well in fact so many that we can't talk about them all on today's edition of the dugout but we're going to pick out a few and we're going to start in tandem on today's show with leicester against manchester city which kicks off at half past 12 on saturday and arsenal against nottingham forest which is the 2 p.m kickoff on sunday and i wanted to look at these games together franny as the two struggling sides forest and leicester are facing the two top sides in the league this season arsenal and manchester city let's start on saturday lunchtime first leicester off the back of a convincing win over leeds that is a big result considering where leeds are in the table and we'll talk about jesse marsh a bit later on in the podcast but how do you fancy the foxes to get on here against the man city side who have, have looked pretty good this year you've got to say it's going to be a very tough afternoon haven't you albeit on the back of that that real positive result um scoring some goals and a much needed uh, three points for leicester city and brendan rogers wasn't it but uh you know taking on this city side with even with any injury doubts and concerns it, it's going to be a tough one uh you know I, th- I think it's one of those anybody almost coming into a game against City is going to be thinking how do we fare in this one let alone any of the sides that are down near the bottom struggling for points and form and everything else so yeah it's uh, it's going to be a, a very much a difficult afternoon one that they'll go there to try and keep things tight and stay in the game but I, I just don't know how you stop 
City at this moment in time and especially Haaland uh, with the form that he's in uh, and the goals that he's scoring. It's, it's, it's just absolutely mind-blowing the way he, he's hit the ground running. Yeah, I called him a Frankenstein footballer in the intro and, uh, you know, albeit tongue-in-cheek, but you can see elements of lots of different aspects of play. He's got the athleticism of, of Zlatan and the size and the speed and the power of many other football players. He's got the one-touch finishing ability of someone like Inzaghi, in my opinion, just someone who was always there in the right place at the right time. He came off at half-time, though, um, in the Champions League game against Dortmund, his old team. That was nil-nil midweek for Man City and... There were suggestions that he might have picked up a bout of illness. Trevor also maybe a bit of an injury to his foot. And we discussed this earlier on this week on the podcast and, you know, kind of going on the Halloween theme. Erling Haaland brings a different sort of fear to Manchester City. So even though they're more than capable of winning games without him, they won the title, for goodness sake, without a striker last season. So City can definitely see off Leicester without him. Um, it is a boost psychologically in a way to Leicester that the fact that Haaland might not be available. We don't know for certain just yet. Yeah, because when Haaland's there, it's not anything that they've experienced for or before. Um, around the, the false nine, Manchester City has been around for, for a couple of seasons, particularly, strongly. Uh, the Haaland uh, addition to this makes that a different kind of beast to play against. Uh, and But the, th- the thing is with Manchester City... I mean, this is a team. This is a team that has a proven team of pedigree, um, and in the horse racing terms, you would say that they are, they are as a team, a thoroughbred team, right? Who um, who have obviously ability, cutting edge, defensive qualities all the way through their team, and you you don't expect them to have like Liverpool have had. Uh, this season, a couple of howler performances. You don't see that coming from Man City. So whether you know Leicester are facing a uh, Man City with Haaland or without Haaland, they are slightly different challenges. But again, as Franny says, you, you just don't bet against Manchester City because when they get and they always seem to have the bit between their teeth, they are are very, very difficult to to uh, play because you don't get the ball for a start uh, and you end up using a lot of energy running around because they push you from side to side and, and, and it's constant. And whilst you're running around chasing the ball, trying to keep the position uh, and uh, of the formation of the team, you're exerting energy, but you're also not getting a touch and feel for the ball itself. So when it comes back to you, you feel like you've got to do something pretty special with it pretty quick. So it becomes like a little hot potato and, and you're making um, snap decisions and maybe wrong choices of passes, etc. So it affects you in not having the ball, it affects you in all sorts of ways as well. So you've got to be prepared for that and you've got to understand that you're not going to see much of the ball. So yeah, Man, Man City, are, um, uh, I, I love watching them. I just thought against Dortmund midweek, they sort of were play, playing in third gear. Um, because they're in such a comfortable place in uh, in the Champions League, that it wasn't a complete all-out assault to win that game. And, and Dortmund um, played well. Hummels was particularly good against uh, against Haaland, uh, and he knows that he knows Haaland well, obviously. Um, yeah, I just uh, I think Man City are capable of just lifting their game to a level which no other team in the Premier League can can rise to. 
Yeah, I like what you said about false nine City as well from last season because actually, in, in fairness to Leicester, they, they've given Man City some pretty good games um, when City were playing that way, but obviously a, a different style almost with, with Erling Haaland, who's got 17 Premier League goals this season. And it's it's not even November yet, which is just, as I said before, supernatural numbers. But Manchester City will certainly see the carrot when it comes to this fixture, not only because it's possibly another three points for Annie, but they can actually leapfrog Arsenal and go top of the Premier League table if they beat Leicester City. So this is a really good opportunity to, again, we come to the psychological aspect of the game. Arsenal aren't playing until two o'clock on Sunday. So that gives them more than 24 hours at the top of the Premier League table if they get the job done. It could do if they pick up that result, as you say, now. But I don't think anybody, certainly Pep and anyone involved with City, will be taking too much into account. You know, they, they've they've been there, they've they've done it in so many previous seasons that that they know at this stage of the season it's just like approaching one game at a time. Um, yes, I think for for some of us that glance at a table and seeing City sort of maybe leapfrog Arsenal would be something to think. They're top, but uh, I think as, as long as City are in and around it, they just know that they've just got to stay at the business end of the, the table and they will do, clearly, uh, given the, the strengths that they have and what they have at their disposal. So, yeah, albeit it's one of those things that supporters will like to see. Uh, I don't think too many people in, at the club itself will be uh, reading too much into that for certainly knowing that it's a, a, a long race this. And what about Arsenal then Franny because they don't kick off as we say till Sunday at two o'clock they've got Nottingham Forest and you know Forest with a, a really good result against Liverpool but that is the cruelty of the Premier League because by virtue of Leicester beating Leeds they're back down to the bottom of the table again so it almost feels like even though they've gained points they've not gained any traction in terms of getting out of that relegation zone but you would have seen Arsenal drop points against your team Southampton in their last game um, how keen do you think Mikel Arteta will be to bounce back from that performance against Saints? Very eager to. Uh, you know, that he, he would have been frustrated, I'm sure, given the, the domination that Arsenal had against Southampton last weekend. In the first half, they scored the, the early goal through Xhaka. And then, uh, you, you know, I, I was sat watching the game fearful as a, a, a Saints supporter thinking this could be a, a, a big number, again, that Southampton can see today. And uh, to their credit, Southampton dug in, they they saw that, that difficult period through and then turned the tide a little bit in, in the second half and actually got back on level terms and took some points off of Arsenal. And um, Arteta will be very eager and keen to get back to winning ways for sure. And uh, I, I think all of us were always looking at Arsenal as if to say, well, when is that moment going to come where... They just have that little dip from the start that they've had, which has been absolutely incredible. But there's always going to come that little blip. And you could say that that was maybe last weekend, especially in the second half against Saints. So from Arteta and Arsenal's point of view, they need to get back to uh, performing uh, uh, at that level again and picking up the points that they, they're after to stay at that, that position in the table. Uh, but it's an opportunity, again, against a side like Forrest with respect to to Nottingham Forest, wonderful result against Liverpool. Uh, but again, it brings another fixture on the back of that that is extremely tough for them. Mm. I've always thought with Arsenal, Trevor, particularly off the back of last season, that 
when they were playing well, they were playing very well, but they would lose a game and then they would go on to lose two or three. This season, it hasn't happened. They've only lost one in the Premier League. That was to Manchester United at Old Trafford. They bounced back from that, from winning all of the remaining games they had after that, up until the, the draw with Southampton last week. So for me, it's all in the reaction with this Arsenal side because I've mentioned it before. It feels like it's almost too good to be true where they are at the moment, but they utterly deserve it because they're playing excellent football and they're getting results. But I do feel like Franny says... When that dip comes, how are Mikel Arteta's players going to respond to that? Because City will be right on their heels for the whole season. Yeah, I just uh, I don't I don't see this Arsenal current Arsenal team uh, as anything that uh, is similar to what we've seen in recent years. I think there's a different dimension uh, within there, and you could put it to down to belief. They actually have been around each other long enough now, and a couple of great acquisitions as well, obviously in the, in the uh, recruitment processing. But they actually get the messaging from the manager. They believe in each other. Um, that was a really good result on, on Thursday night against PSV. Kept you know that streak going in in, in Europe. Um, so I, I really like the look of them. I like the togetherness. Um, and you know they're all in it for for the same. Um, they're all aligned to you know. Let's go with this. The deeper you get into the season, the more belief that they're building. It seems, uh, and I think this is a this is a perfect game for them. To be honest with you, I know Forest beat Liverpool, but Liverpool were disjointed. Uh, I thought selection as well was pretty poor on on Klopp's um, uh, behalf. I don't think that was the team to go to Forest. With you know, because they were always going to battle it out, Forest, and the formation that they had, uh, which was to suffocate anything that Liverpool did uh, in their own half and Forest's half, uh, that worked. And of course, we'll see exactly the same against Arsenal. Uh, but I think there's a, um, a different different mood when you're going away from home. Forest have got to try and do that away from home, and Arsenal have started to make the Emirates a fortress. And it's again, it's a different challenge that um, Steve Cooper and his group of players face. Uh, and, and as you said, they've now gone, they've slipped to the bottom of the league table. And that's psychologically, whereas Leicester are a fourth bottom now, that's a psychological boost. Slipping down to bottom place is, uh, albeit try to ignore it, it doesn't feel great. So uh, I think it's a great uh, chance for Arsenal to bang a few goals in, to be to be quite honest with you. I think you're right about the Emirates as well being, you know, the, the fortress that it could and probably should be. And actually, having looked at Arsenal's home record in recent seasons, um, since they moved to the Emirates, in fact, a lot of people said about West Ham, didn't they, when they moved from Upton Park to London Stadium, it was going to be difficult. And I guess there were similar feelings at the time when they moved from Highbury to the Emirates. But actually, over the years at the Emirates, it's hard to go there and beat Arsenal. It was really difficult. If you look at the statistics, they're actually very good on their own patch. And um, the majority of the time, they don't really lose there. So, I mean, I, th I think that's certainly something worth taking into consideration. Talking of going back to somewhere uh, and trying to get a result, Graham Potter's going back to the Amex this weekend at three o'clock on Saturday. His former club, Brighton, will take on his current club, Chelsea. And he's still undefeated as Blues manager, Franny. What sort of reception do you think he'll get 
down at Brighton because if you think about the landscape here, he guided Brighton to their highest ever league finish, not just in the Premier League, but in their history. He also, though, by the same token, when he left the Amex, gutted the backroom team. He took everyone with him to Stamford Bridge and some supporters have felt that that's left a little bit of a sour taste in, in the mouth and it's had a bit of an impact on the work of the new boss, De Zerbi. So what's your take on this whole situation of, of Potter going back to his old stomping ground? Yeah, it's, it's one of those fixtures that comes up, doesn't it? When you're, you're going from one club to another in the same league, that uh, you, it's probably one of the things he looked at at some point. You know, when when is that fixture come up in the diary? And um, and, and maybe in some ways it, it, it might have been better for him. In, in some ways, had it been that fixture at, uh, at Stamford Bridge. But um, I, I think the fan base down there will probably be a little bit divided. You know, there'll be those that will clearly recognise the work and achievements that he did and improved Brighton in his time there with his staff uh, and there'd be the others that will will see his departure as um, something that left a, a, a bit of a taste in the mouth that is is unsavory for for, for Brighton fans and uh, they'll probably make their feelings known they probably do the people with those sort of views tend to make their feelings known a little bit louder than uh, the ones that sort of appreciate anything that he did there in, in his time so yeah, he'll probably probably come in for some criticism from certain sections of the crowd, I'm sure. But uh, you know, uh, I think I've touched on before as a as a former teammate of mine at Southampton many years ago. You know, he was just always just probably what we're seeing now him maturing into a a really uh, sort of like knowledgeable um, sort of good tactician as well, which I think we saw against in the game against Manchester United recently there was you know that was quite fascinating to see how he he made an early change before half time uh but he he'll be going back with a, a strong Chelsea squad that are doing pretty well uh facing his former team that are really really struggling uh, uh under the Zerbi so still to win a game under his uh his time there so it's going to be a, a, a huge match for for everyone concerned what do you make of this notion that Graham Potter's had what they call a glow-up, Franny? He's uh, he's trimmed his beard. He gets his hair cut off the same barber that the lads get their hair done. Was he was he scruffy when he was at Southampton, or is that just a little bit harsh on Graham Potter? Uh, he, he, the, the natural look. He was just comfortable in his in, in his ways and his look, and uh, yeah. He, but he's certainly looking looking pretty sharp nowadays, isn't he? Which uh, pr- probably yeah. comes at a cost, I would imagine. If he's getting the, the, the player's uh, barber to do his hair, then uh, I can't imagine that comes cheap. Yeah, the Paul Weller haircut and the turtleneck, I think, is doing him some favours <laughs> by the sounds of it. Um, it's quite funny, this whole situation with Graham Potter. And it reminded me of my team, Portsmouth, when... Uh, you ask any fans about Harry Redknapp and some fans absolutely love him because he won Pompey the FA Cup, which is, you know, one of our only major trophies. But some fans despise him because he left and went and managed Southampton and came back and then he left again and went to Tottenham. So, you know, and then there was the financial problems at Pompey. So, I mean, I can understand why some fans are divided with that. Do you understand, Trevor, why some supporters might be a little bit frustrated? Is this just modern football in a microcosm almost, you've got a manager who achieved things at a club that, let's face it, aren't really supposed to be in the top 10 in the Premier League. He's he's left to go to a, a giant of a club in Chelsea. He's taken everyone with him. Therefore, there's a little bit of, of distaste there, I suppose you could say. Do you understand what's going on there? Uh, no, not really. Because I think you've got to look at the job he's done for, for Brighton, which has been a, a, a terrific, consistent, um, good to watch uh, taking them from 
you know, wherever, wherever I can't remember exactly where they were when he when he came in. Were, were they a championship team or? I can't remember exactly what that was. Where, well, he, where he, he left Swansea, didn't he? And actually, I, I forgot he was even at Swansea, Graham Potter. It's like, you know, he was at Sw- he was at Ostersunds in Sweden, went to Swansea. I think he did a year there and then straight into Brighton, who had just stayed up in the Premier League. They harshly sacked Chris Hewton, I seem to remember. They finished, I think, 17th. They stayed up by a point or two, which is all you could expect, really, from, from Brighton at that point. And he came in and he changed it around. Yeah, so what a job he's done. What a job he's done. He's elevated them from um, you know potential relegation fodder to uh, a team that's looking up in fact can they creep up the league you know from mid-table can they get in around that sixth seventh uh, uh, eighth place uh, so he's done a great job I mean an absolutely brilliant job and the club I think if you ask anyone um, uh, you know the chairman uh, Mr Bloom isn't it uh, or the owner uh, they've built something really solid all right, now he's moved. He's had this amazing opportunity, but it shows the quality of the guy that he's gone into Chelsea. Like, you know, the, the, the conveyor belt's going, right? The conveyor belt's going and he's jumped on the conveyor belt. He hasn't lost his balance and then he's just pressed the goal forward and he's quickened the pace. So Chelsea are looking like a really good team. I don't know if you saw them midweek, but their mm. performance midweek was was superb. Could have scored seven or eight. Yeah, they? it was. I mean, terrific football. Um Brilliant first half, second half not quite so good, but 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 still at a really high level. And he's going away to some places and getting some great results. So Graham Potter is unquestionably here for the the long term. To me, he looks like a potential England manager somewhere down the line. Going back to Brighton, uh, I think I, I, I don't think they're spiteful, are they? Down at Brighton, you know, I don't know what their sort of tendencies are as a crowd. But I would be very, very surprised if he doesn't get a good reception. I think their frustration could be with De Zerbi because well, are they going to put it on, you know, on him? Is that just than... because that Graham Potter's taken the whole lot with him, though? He's taken everyone from goalkeeping coach to cafeteria lady by the sounds of it he sounds like he's just taken them all out of Brighton ripped it up and brought them with him to, to West London so I think that's some of the reasoning from the Brighton fans is because of that well I don't know how far and deep that goes to, to the to the lady in the canteen I'm, I'm not sure I'm having that one but um, but De Zerbi remember uh, doing job at Sassuolo and you know it does that fabulously uh, but remember he's an Italian talking Italian in Italy Right now, he's an Italian, speaks half English, trying to communicate and keep that conveyor belt going for Brighton, and it's stopping and starting really. Um, and I think that's what they need to try and smooth out. And but what a tough game to 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 play against Chelsea. It's not the game that you want at this moment in time. You prefer to have a have a sort of mid-table team where they've absolutely really got a chance to dominate. Uh, so I, I fancy I fancy Green Park to go and get the result. The result, there might be some booze on the back of that, you know, if they do turn over Brighton. But I don't think a reception for him being there, I'll be listening out. I don't think you'll get a, a, a poor um, welcome back to back to the annex. Uh, that would surprise me. Brighton have lost three of their last five games, yet they remain ninth in the Premier League table and just a point behind Liverpool after 11 games played. As for Chelsea, fifth at the moment. Newcastle, of course, are in the top four at the moment. They've played a game more than Chelsea, though, and the Blues can go back into the top four if they get a decent result and Newcastle United don't. Newcastle home to Aston Villa, which will actually lead us on quite nicely to Steven Gerrard because that's who we're going to talk about next on The Dugout. So make sure you stick around and we'll speak to you after this. 
Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is The Dugout from Sports Social. My name's Niall. I've got former Southampton player Francis Benali and ex-England and Everton winger Trevor Stephen alongside me. Leicester versus Man City and Nottingham Forest away at Arsenal are two of the games we've spoken about already on the show as well as Brighton against Chelsea. There are some big ones this weekend. Bournemouth, Spurs, Brentford, Wolves, um, Liverpool, Leeds and of course Newcastle against Aston Villa will be one that many people will have an eye on. No less because Newcastle are doing so well at the moment but more so because Unai Emery through the doors of Villa Park and replacing the sacked Steven Gerrard and the result uh, from just over a week ago against Fulham where they lost 3-0 was enough to see Steven Gerrard sacked by the Villa board the club bounced back emphatically they beat Brentford 4-0 despite the fact they didn't have a manager at that point but now Unai Emery has his first game in charge on Saturday how do you assess Franny the way everything unfolded at Aston Villa last week we mentioned uh, last week on the podcast that Steven Gerrard was probably clinging on to his job it could not have gone any worse for him at Fulham away man sent off 3-0 defeat he gets the sack yet they bounce back in some style against Brentford so it's been a bit of a roller coaster for those Villa fans over the last 12 days or so yeah for sure and uh, I guess there was that that pressure on Steven Gerrard and a lot of talk about it and I think be interesting to get Trevor's views on it, but um, I, I think he's just such a big name within the game that that brings that added pressure on him as a manager as well. Obviously, had that you know sort of good run up in in Scotland, and uh, you know clearly, I, I think sort of taking a job in the Premier League was the the, the next step for him as a manager. Um, clearly, hasn't gone as well as he would have liked it personally. Um, and then what would have been frustrating, I'm sure, from his perspective, would have been looking on to watch his Villa side then go and thump Brentford 4-0, being 4-0 up after an hour. And he's probably thinking, blimey, where's where's a performance like this come from? So, you know, it, it, there's probably blame that you could apportion on both sides, you know, players and performances and maybe him to a degree as a manager as well. Uh, and interesting, you know, like sort of team selection, I think there's been talk about McGinn sort of who's been sort of playing regularly and then was, I think he was out for the game against Brentford, wasn't he? And Buendia coming back in, Danny Ings scoring his first goals in seven games. Uh, you know, there's there's so many of these factors that can be those fine margins between getting a result that can sometimes save you your position and your job and, or as it was the case being the opposite scenario for, for Steven Gerrard. So be interesting to see how he comes back into the sport uh, a little bit further down the line. But uh yeah, an interesting one with Emery coming in, uh, probably a, a different kind of manager that we've seen at Aston Villa for for some time now. We'll come on to Emery in a second, but just sticking on Steven Gerrard and picking up off the back of what Franny said there, Trev. Steven Gerrard returning to management. Um, he was long being tipped as the successor to Jurgen Klopp. Things are going so well at your old club, Rangers. You know, winning the title after where Rangers had come from in the years previous was an excellent achievement. Europa League campaign, which went really well for Rangers as well. Yet he comes to Aston Villa, spends a year there, and it never really got off the ground for him. With that in mind about him being a potential successor to Jurgen Klopp at some point down the line, is that opportunity gone now with the way things have gone at Villa, or is that too harsh? It's certainly gone, I would suggest, for the next five or six years. Um because he needs to rebuild uh, and that's how football works. You either keep on that 
climbing those stairs or, or you or you fall from the stairs and he's fallen and, it, and it's a tough one because as Franny said his reputation um, you watch his interviews you can see the absolute drive in the guy um, yeah, unfortunately he got stuck I think at Aston Villa he made some acquisitions of which I'm going to highlight Coutinho and Coutinho became a, um, a square peg trying to be pushed into a round hole. Uh, Steve Gerrard gave him too many opportunities, in my opinion, to turn his performances around because he was unrecognisable from how he started to how he finished Coutinho. He completely was bereft of confidence at the end. And Stephen thought by putting him on the pitch, keeping him there, that it's eventually going to come right because he's such a great player. And it just didn't work, it didn't happen. Whether that blame is... Um, probably on both sides because Gerard should have taken him out and let him build his confidence again on the fringes but understand why he's, why he's there uh, rather than trying to find your confidence in the Premier League which is a difficult place to do you know when you're having a rough time because the games are tough uh, and Coutinho was like being washed around you know from like a pebble in the beach you know he was being washed up and down and he was he, Stephen I think made errors in his judgments and tried to force good performances in the end. So what has he got to do now? I, I, I presume, I, I would suggest, he's got to go down to the, the championship. Could he go back to Rangers, Trevor, without putting pressure on you to make a decision on what's happening with Van Bronckhorst? But... No, never go back. Never go back. Right? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, not, it's not going to serve him. If he goes back and repeats what he did mm. previously... What's he going to learn? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yard. Mm. He hasn't gained a yard, right? So he's got to go and do the the rebuild of a club, a good pl- uh, club. Um, you know, that's you know, there's some great clubs in the in Division One. You know, some really strong clubs. But then have a look at the championship and see what opportunities come that way. You know, when you think of someone like a Sean Dyche who can't can't get a job in the Premier League, but he's served his time in the Premier League. Um, you know, Stephen has to be realistic, and I'm sure he is. He's a bright guy. He, he knows. Take a breather and go and get one of those jobs that you can. Um, uh, they can rebuild the club from and not have that intense pressure. And actually, Sean Dyche was talking about this on the TV the other day. Eddie Howe took, I think, a year out of the game and went back in after refreshing himself post Bournemouth into Newcastle. And look how well they're, well they're doing. So I think that's a really good point. Right on to Unai Emery, Franny. With all due respect to Stephen Gerrard and what he's achieved with Rangers. Is Unai Emery an upgrade on, on Steven Gerrard or is it too soon to tell? I think statistically, you win that many Europa Leagues, you manage PSG, you manage Sevilla, you manage Villarreal. He's managed all the Villas now, hasn't he, basically? Sevilla, Villarreal and now Aston Villa. So um, so what, what do you think of, of that? Yeah, an interesting one, isn't it? I think, uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned it at the beginning of the show in your, in your intro, Niall, that uh, it's, it's that, that season where people refer to it as second season and the whole managerial merry-go-round starts to start moving again and, and, and gentlemen lose their roles, their positions at, at a club and people come back in. Um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating one and, and one that I certainly am intrigued to see how it will work from Villa's perspective as well as Emery's uh, because it goes against sort of in some ways the kind of managers they've had in the past. What he does bring uh, in comparison to Steven Gerrard is... Uh, and this is no sort of uh, putting down of, of Gerard at all, but purely he's had the Rangers job and the success that he had there. But 
in comparison to Emery, he's relatively inexperienced. And, and Emery brings that experience of different um, football on different continents and, and the time that he's been in the game and the players that he's worked with, the clubs that he's been at, the success that he's had as a manager as well, uh, you know, doing well with Villarreal, even after the, 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 the time at Arsenal. So he'll he'll come in clearly with his own ideas and methods that he wants to to turn Villa around and it'll be fascinating to see how he works with the, the players and and what and if support he gets in the, in the, the transfer window um which will be his first as manager to what changes because he the good thing about it from Emery's perspective I think in Villa is that they've made the call a big one as it is to to sack Gerard but he'll have time now to look at the squad look at the players he, he would have been across it anyway, you know, from sitting on the fringes. But now that he's got his foot through the door, he'll be assessing the squad and the window will be an interesting one if there's players that he wants to move in and out of the club mm. to help them move forward. I think you're right when you look at the previous Aston Villa managers list, if you will. Steven Gerrard, Smith, Bruce, Di Matteo, Sherwood, Lambert, McLeish, they've all won things. I mean, Di Matteo has won a Champions League with Chelsea, for goodness sake. But in terms of consistent success, you'd have to say that Emery is one of the highest calibre managers that Villa have had in recent memory. And speaking to Villa fans last week, Trevor, they feel very similar. And actually, I asked an Arsenal supporter about what he made of Unai Emery's job there. And he said it was just the wrong manager at the wrong time at the Emirates and it wasn't anything to do with how good he actually is as a coach just when you go in to replace Arsene Wenger someone who's been there for two decades or more it's never going to be easy we saw something similar you could argue with David Moyes at Manchester United to replace Ferguson is one of the hardest things you could do as a manager so do you think that that bears relevance here when we're thinking about Emery at Aston Villa? No, I think there are a lot of things to consider uh, I actually think it, this will work I think he goes in there um, he has earned respect, right, from at every level uh, of, of judgment, whether it's from you know, broadcasters, media, uh, players, management, the key people in and around the game. And, you know, he won three Europa Leagues in a row. What, what do Villa want? What do Villa want? They would like to be up challenging at the top end and be a competitive football team. And what does he do? He, he produces those kind of teams uh, and from smaller clubs in Aston Villa as well. Uh, some, someone mentioned the other day that he was at Seville, wasn't he? Seville and Villa Real and, uh, and he managed David Villa. And, 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 well, he's got, you know, he got Villa Real, Trevor, to a Champions League semi-final. He won the Europa League with Villa Real. It's a town of 50,000 people. It seems fit. I know, it just seems fit. You know, he's coming from uh, Villa Real or whatever and and it's Villa that he's going to. It, it just seems like <laughs> perfect, right? It just seems it's meant to be. Now, I have a, I have a, he will get immediate respect from the players in that dressing room, right? Because these guys at that, in that Villa dressing room have not done a scrap of what he's done, mm. right? So he's going to walk in there with a great deal of respect. Now, he didn't really get that at Arsenal because the Arsenal players were thinking, you've got to prove yourself to us. There's the whole Ozil yeah. thing, trying to get rid of Ozil, yeah, trying to exactly. get rid of Mustafi, etc. Right, so there was a different entry point. And what, the only thing that can um, bring him down is that his communication skills, and I'm, I'm sort of harping on about communication. I've mentioned about De Zerbi, getting the message, not speaking the language. 
Unai Emery did not speak the language very well and found it difficult to communicate. Now, I have heard that he has continued his English uh, lessons whilst he's been out of the country. And I think that will be key, how he gets his messaging over and how he talks to his players. Because the players at, at Villa, you're going to have to talk to them quite a lot and get your messaging over. This is not a case about setting a mood as a manager and man management. This is about getting the proper um, uh, information across and players being able to uh, take it on board. And I think if he's got his communication upped a little bit, I think this will could be a really successful appointment. I, I really do believe that. You know, and I'm not saying it because uh, um, any other reason, then I think it's a good fit at this time. As you said, it wasn't a good fit at the time for Arsenal, but this seems to be a good time. Just talking about communication and respect, I felt that when he was at Arsenal, he wasn't respected very well by the media, especially with the whole, when he would start a post-match interview, he'd start it with, good evening. And obviously the Spanish language, V and B are the same sound. And you can understand someone who doesn't speak English as their first language, um, making a sort of errors like that, I suppose you could say, if you, if you could call it that, which I don't think it's even fair to call it an error. I just think it's one of those things where it got to the point where he was almost being bullied for it. And I didn't like that. I no, didn't no, like that. Because the average, you know, the, the football fan uh, is always looking for something to, to uh, criticise. Uh, you know, the team's maybe not played well, let's say, you know, Emery at Arsenal. The team's not played well and they've watched these interviews leading up to the game. It becomes a little bit of a laughing stock. And said, well, he can't communicate with these players. Have you heard him during the week? It starts to become an issue and they're built and built and built to the point that the, the directors, you know, made the decision to get rid of him. Uh, and it was very much around those communication skills. Well, we'll see how he gets on this weekend against Newcastle United, who interestingly were a club that were very interested. He's not taking over until Tuesday, is he? Yeah, I know, but he'll be he'll be there. He'll be there. I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, you you do wonder what sort of um, influence he might have just by being in the stands against a club in Newcastle who are actually very interested in taking Unai Emery from Villarreal when Steve Bruce got the chop at St. James's Park. In the end, they went for Eddie Howe and it's worked out pretty well for them. Um, talking of managers possibly losing their jobs, it's never nice to hear about it, but you have to face a reality. And is that a reality that Jesse Marsh is facing right now at Leeds United? We'll discuss it after this on The Dugout. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to The Dugout and will Jesse Marsh be in The Dugout for Leeds for very much longer? I've seen him described as a dead man walking. There were certainly some chants of the ilk of get out of our club from the Leeds away end uh, at Leicester City last week. Uh, Leeds United were handsomely beaten by Leicester who, much like the Whites, have been struggling this season. Jesse Marsh to come in and replace Marcelo Bielsa was always going to be tough, but he's now odds on Trevor with some bookies to be the next Premier League manager to get the sack. Do you think, considering those chants and the booing from the away end last week, do you think his days are numbered? Once you cross that threshold with the fan base, it's very hard to gain that ground back, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think Jesse Marsh is, is a thick-skinned bloke. Uh, I think he absolutely believes in his message and what he's doing. I don't know if it's a kind of an American thing that that he carries it, you know, really, really well. He does seem to want to take all the flack um, and deal with that. And as I said, you need thick skin for that. And I think he has it. 
is he doing the right thing on the football field? Um, uh, it's difficult because it's obviously not a struggling, scoring goals again for, for Leeds United. And I couldn't tell you really how they play. Under Bielsa, we knew how, the, how they played. They did the man-to-man marking, and that was it. This is what we do. High energy, high intensity, super fit players. Um, and, and they have a Bamford that was scoring goals and things, and, and, it, and it worked. And then it did fade, and that's why Bielsa lost his job. Um, Jesse Marsh, I'm not, I'm not convinced about. Uh, if he was uh, head of you know a team that I supported, he seems to play up to the crowd a little bit. Um, from what I see, uh, his reactions, he's very um, animated. animated and theatrical about what's going on. And sometimes you just need a steadiness and a calmness, I think. Yeah, it's this far cry from Marcelo Bielsa crouching down on yeah. his haunches and sitting on his bucket, isn't it? It's yeah, it's like, it's like the Leeds team needs, needs, needs calming and organising rather than get faster and more furious about what you're doing. And it, it seems to be a bit of a, you know... Um, Headless chickens at times with Leeds United. They'll stay in games for a while because of their energy levels. But then when the game stretches, then it becomes a little bit messy. And the Leeds fans can see that. And that needs that needs to change. I either go back to what um, Steve Cooper is doing at, at Nottingham Forest and uh, deciding on a formation that's going to make it extremely hard to beat. Um, but it seems that Jesse Marsh doesn't want to do that. He wants us to be able to have a team that can dominate a game. So... He's caught between the two the two pillars, and it, it's getting more and more scary. I think for Leeds fans, because me personally, I love having Leeds in the Premier League, but their football is not at this moment in time at Premier League level for me. What I think hasn't helped him as well, guys, is that we touched on it with with other clubs and other managers. He's following somewhere someone like Bielsa, who was just adored by the Leeds United supporters. So that, that was always going to be a difficult scenario. Remember, you could as well almost look at the fact that he's lost what you could arguably say was their two best players as well. You know, that, that's got to be a factor in, you know, sort of like going forward as well. And, and without a, a win in their last eight, that clearly cranks up the pressure. And we talk about that psychology side of things, both ends of the table. To see Leeds drop into the bottom three now, all of that, that just adds that little bit more pressure to all concerned and as you touched on now once the the fan base starts turning as well and we saw the reaction against um you know that 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 result last week all of a sudden that then starts making owners and directors a little bit twitchy about how long do we stay with the manager Rafinha and and Phillips both leaving and then Patrick Bamford being injured and since he's come back I don't, I don't think Bamford looks particularly mobile and not scoring goals as well. The, the drought seems to have, have arrived for him. So that's always going to be uh, a tricky thing to deal with. Yeah, I mean, the, the squad size is not big enough. Mm. You know, the, the quality doesn't run deep enough. I mean, immediately going on to, um, you know, young lads. Was it Gelbert? Gelhart, um, yeah. Gelhart. Gelhart has been the saviour coming on to do yeah. something. Crescencio Somerville is another one. Yeah, they've definitely yeah. been using the youngsters. But you said, you said organisation and you said Carl and just kind of collecting everything. I have seen a few Leeds fans on social media, Trevor, call for Sean Dyche. Is this, is this, I know that this is probably a bit unfair because Jesse Marsh, as we're talking, is still in a job. So I don't like to talk about managers coming into a club when they've already got a manager. But I think it's only fair that we do discuss Sean Dyche because if the fans are calling for it on social media, at least I've seen a few that have, that have 
asked for Sean Dyche to come in. Do you think that this is Dyche's calling now? Leeds are a bigger club than Burnley. They're in trouble. They need organisation. They've got a small squad. They've lost their best players. They're all criteria for me, Trevor, that sound very similar to a situation that he managed at Burnley for a number of years. Now, as, as, I, as I said, um, the team needs organising and, and calming and focusing on jobs. And Sean Dyche um, had Burnley surviving in two, two um, periods in the Premier League for a, a sequence of years. Uh, and yeah, it's never nice to talk about a job that's already occupied. But my opinion is Sean Dyche would be a great fit. An absolutely great fit. He, he, I think he's an impressive guy. Uh, he's kind of one-dimensional and how he comes across in the media, but it's a really interesting and um, clear uh, message that he, he gives. And I'm sure he's very, very clear on the, on the uh, in the dressing room and on the training pitch. And I think clarity and vision is what they what they need now. And I don't see that there's a vision on the Jesse Marsh other than let, let's try and get three, three points in the next game. I think Sean Dyche would go in there and look at the next 10 games, right? And not worry about Liverpool. Um, in this coming game and say, right, these are the games that we are going to win, right? This is a free hit against Liverpool. We are not going to be uh, dominating this game. You know, right, let's start to work on the strengths that we can we can bring to the, the to Leeds' performance in the coming uh, weeks. You know, I know that World Cup gets in the way, but if you get the, the gist of what I'm saying, I think they do need a, a mindset shift uh, and that's not going to come under Jesse Marsh. Uh, so yeah, Sean Dyche would, would fit for me. Do you know what? There's a there's a dynamic and a different view on things that that I'm fascinated with, guys. And this is like from the club's perspective. When you like, there's a number of clubs we've seen with Villa making that decision and sacking Gerard. But I guess there's clearly other clubs that that's going through their mind. You know, you're looking at sort of Wolves dropping into the bottom three, Leeds United, as we we're just talking about now. If if the owners and directors are thinking we're considering a move at what stage are they going to do that i think with the world cup break that that's almost helping a lot of clubs we've seen it with bournemouth and the great job gary o'neill's done they haven't had because of the success he's had and the results they've had they haven't had to make that judgment and bring another manager in um and for me with the fact that there's only is it five points between the bottom three clubs and west ham who are in 10th i think as long as there's that small gap between the clubs and no one really gets cut adrift clubs will leave it as long as possible and maybe even get to the the world cup break or who's going to blink first and make that decision to get someone in to get the manager that they actually want yeah i, I just think in football now it's it's irrational uh franny and i think some uh some clubs would, would think along those lines but i think there's definitely two or three in there who just uh, they know that the money's around in the system that comes in from from uh, the broadcasters, and they're prepared to pay managers off. They get a they get a a, a twitch and a hunch for uh, let's make this decision, and let's go and let's set the club off on another route. And I can I can see that coming at Leeds. I have to say. Well, will miserable Marsh be replaced by dreadful Deitch? We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out very soon, I'm sure. Uh, thank you to Franny Benali and Trevor Stephen. Appreciate your time as ever, gents. Always great to have the guys on the dugout. Don't forget, if you hit subscribe to this podcast, you won't miss another episode of the show again. Brand new episodes on Premier League football every day of the season. So if you can't get enough of top flight action, this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, like I say. But that is it from us. Enjoy your weekend's action and we'll catch you next time on the dugout.
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.